I love that song, Oh, What a Savior, Isn't He Wonderful? What a reminder for us this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet and I didn't get to shake your hand, uh, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Hope. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, will you open up to Proverbs chapter 12? And then once you get there, you're going to open up to Proverbs 18. And then once you get there, you're going to open up to Proverbs 24. And don't, you don't have to remember that. It'll be up on the screen. But uh, I was thinking this past week, I, I just have to share this with you. Um, I was thinking when David wrote in the Psalms, he said, I will declare your marvelous deeds from generation to generation. And this past week at our, makes me a little emotional, um, at our Finding Hope Center, um, we got a call from Lazy Boy. And so you guys know we've established a partnership with them about a year and a half ago. They said, hey, we've got a load for you guys to come get. Bring all the trucks and trailers you have. You're going to need it. And guys, we picked up, a conservative estimate is $50,000 worth of furniture this week. And it was free. And uh, I just think it, last week we, we had the privilege to serve some families through the ministry center. And um, there was a family from Afghanistan that is, was newer to the States within the last couple of years. And they got caught up in that whole whirlwind when our troops left there a couple years ago and um, had to flee the country rapidly, and we were able to help them and serve them last Sunday. We had a family, if you remember, um, I think it was 2019, where a big uh, hurricane swept through southern Florida and the Bahamas and that whole region and displaced several thousand people. And one of those came through our ministry center, a family from the Bahamas, family of nine, living in a two-bedroom apartment. Can you imagine? And they got to come through, and we were giving them beds and couches and just helping them create an environment the best we can of a safe and inviting homes as they rebuild their lives here in the United States. And we just do it under the banner of Jesus. Um, the family from Bahamas, they were believers, and they knew the Lord, and they were so excited. They said in the next coming weeks, as they're getting jobs and schedules situated, that hopefully we'll see them soon here at church. And um, it's why we do this, but I'm just overwhelmed, right, by God's faithfulness to us, and for some reason, he is choosing to allow us to sit underneath his mighty hand right now and just do some miraculous things, and uh, I, my prayer this morning as I was driving to church was this, and then I promise we'll look at the Proverbs. Um, my prayer this morning was, God, may the miraculous never become common for us, right? We, we literally, and I'm not exaggerating, y'all know this if you've been around Living Hope, we see God do Ephesians 3.20 stuff around here weekly, things that just don't make sense. And by God's grace, I never want us to get used to that. We get to see things that other churches sometimes don't get to see. And uh, I don't know why, but I'm very thankful that God allows us to be a little bit part of his story that he's writing here in Northwest Columbus. So Proverbs chapter 12, um, if you have a copy of the scriptures, will you stand with me in honor of reading God's word? We believe the Word of God is a big deal, and when we stand, we place ourselves under Scripture's authority this morning. So we're looking at three Proverbs. First one, Proverbs 12.4 says this, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a wife who causes shame is like rottenness to his bones. Proverbs 18, verse 22, Proverbs says, A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And then our last proverb, Proverb 24, verses 3 and 4, God's word says this, that a house is built by wisdom, it is established by understanding. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with every precious and beautiful treasure. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, thanks for your word. 
God, I pray now as we um, walk through these Proverbs and other scriptures together this morning that uh, your spirit would teach us from the scriptures. God, I pray that today that you would give us open ears to hear from you. God, we don't just want to hear your word, Lord. We want it to change who we are from the inside out. So God, we pray for soft hearts. But God, as James talks about, we don't just want to simply be hearers of the word. God, we truly do want to be doers of the word. So God, would you give us obedient hands and feet to live out the truths that we encounter in your word today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you may be wondering if you've paid attention uh, last week or two weeks ago, um, Pastor Joe was originally supposed to teach today. And uh, if some of you may have heard later in, earlier in this week, he had an uncle down in Kentucky that had passed away tragically and, and suddenly. And so um, part of the uh, Kibbe family is out of town today to attend that funeral. So as you, as you think of them, pray for them today as they're laying their uncle to rest. And uh, I don't mean to just transition this hard, but Pastor Joe was going to talk about the role of the wife in the marriage. First week, we talked about God's design for marriage from Genesis. Then we looked at, from Ephesians 5, the man's role in the marriage last week. And this week, Pastor Joe was going to talk about the wife's role in the marriage. And he was going to talk about submission. And he was going to talk about um, all these things as related to, to wives in marriage. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't find out until like Thursday evening, Friday morning, that I was going to be teaching this morning. Um, two days is not ample opportunity and time to study submission. So I didn't want to rob Pastor Joe of just that privilege to, to get to come to teach the ladies of this church how to submit to your husbands. So I said, I called Mr. Pastor Joe, I said, man, um, I'm just going to let you do that. And so we're going to figure out this coming year, I don't know when yet, but we're going to figure out what's the lowest attended Sunday in our calendar year. And then that's the week he'll do that very thing, Okay. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, part of the reason that we chose not to, if you know Joe, um, Joe's a studier, and he spends a lot of time in the scriptures getting ready for messages, and if you're one of his close friends, he's probably called you in the last two weeks and talked to you about what the Bible says about the role of the wife in marriage, and so he, uh, he said, man, can we just push me to another week? I really want to teach that. He said, I feel like God has really spoken clearly to me, and I want to share that. So we chose to do that, and so with a two days preparation, I, I just went back to some of my archives from a few years ago and just looked, I mean, what have we talked about marriage in the past? And we kind of pieced some stuff together today. But what I really want to do just to close out this series, Love and Marriage, is I want to talk about some principles of healthy marriage. When we think about marriage, what does the scripture say are some of the building blocks of what we would define biblically as a, a healthy marriage? Proverbs is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. It's one of those books I try to read through every single month. And I, I think we're going to encounter a lot of wisdom here in these three Proverbs from Jesus. Remember we said uh, two weeks ago, God is the author of marriage. God is the designer of marriage. Nobody gets to hijack marriage from him. Nobody gets to change the rules about marriage. God wrote it. It's marriage is God's. And so if we want to know what healthy marriage looks like, let's go to the scriptures and ask, what does God say about this? What does healthy marriage actually look like? Why should we even pursue health in our marriages once that relationship has started? Let's start with this simple thought. We briefly mentioned this in week one. You know, if you destroy marriage, you have the opportunity then to destroy one of the clearest and first pictures of the gospel that's found in the scriptures. 
We talked about that briefly in week one, but let me give you a few examples as to why that's true. First off, marriage is such a clear picture of the faithfulness of God. When you and I every day choose to be faithful to our spouse and unconditionally love them, we are a picture to the world of what the faithfulness of God looks like despite our sin. Marriage is a picture of God's forgiveness to us as we, as we learn about and love our spouse. It's gonna be news for you. Your spouse is gonna mess up. Nobody said amen. Good job. Well done. Good job. Right? They'll mess up and you will mess up too. But then we have the opportunity to forgive as an expression of love to them. Why? Because then that helps us understand how God extends forgiveness to us. It's a picture of God's grace. We love our spouse unconditionally. And then we begin to just scratch the surface of understanding of how God loves us through the lens of grace. Marriage is a picture of God's sacrifice. If you're married, God has called you to sacrificially love and serve your spouse as a picture and expression of what Jesus did on the cross for you and I. Marriage is one of the clearest and the first pictures of the gospel, and we need to fight for it, and we need to fight for healthy marriages. So three Proverbs I want us to look at today. There's, there's so many of these principles that we could look at in the scriptures, but three that I want us to hone in on today. Um, principles to live out to your spouse in the covenant of marriage. As we close out this series, Love and Marriage, and the first one is the, the, the principle of noble character. Noble character from Proverbs 12.4. Let's look again what Solomon wrote here. He said that a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. The wife of noble character is her husband's crown. Chances are over your lifetime that you've probably heard some really uh, uh, catchy quotes about the nature of character. Here's a few of my favorite. People are impressed by talent, but God is impressed by your character. This is a good one. True character is who you are when nobody else is looking. Man, if we could apply that one. When character is lost, all is lost. You see, generally speaking, I think most of us in this room, within the sound of my voice, we understand the importance of character. We understand when someone has good character, bad character, strong character, weak character, a great deal of character, or no character at all. We know character is important. What do we mean when we, we say the word character? What is Solomon referring to? Some would say it's the sum qualities that make up a person. I think that's helpful. Another definition, I read this before, is character is the visible imprint of what is housed in a person's soul. It's who you genuinely are. And in this passage here in Proverbs 12, 4, this is specifically applied to the wife, as Solomon writes, yet I think it's applicable to the husband in the marriage relationship as well. What kind of wife is commended here in Proverbs 12, 4? A wife of noble character. Some Bible translations, my, the mine is the CSB, but I like the way some uh, translate that thought. The ESV talks about a, a woman of excellence, or an excellent woman, it might say. The King James puts, some of y'all, I know some of y'all in here are King James people, right? You've been rocking that since, like, what, 1687 or something like that. I get it. <laughs> I don't even know. I've read the King James like three times. But it says, like, a woman of, of virtue. Man, what a good word there. In each case, what's Solomon pointing to? The strength of the character of the spouse. Again, this is directed to the wife, but I think we can apply this to the husband as well in, in the marriage relationship, being a, an individual, a spouse of noble character. 
There's a little side note. I wrote this in my notes. Maybe this is helpful for you. Ladies, you can say amen to this. Men, don't expect your wife to embody this kind of character if you won't do it yourself, right? And that'll preach, right? <laughs> Whoever said amen, we got marriage counseling at 3.30 today. You can just, I'm teasing. I'm joking. So, so when Solomon says a, a, an individual with strength of character, what does, he, what does he look like? What does that look like? I'm reminded we read last week Proverbs 31 from a, a bird's eye view where, where the, the writer of the Proverbs looks at this, this wife and he's describing this woman that he was married to, perhaps a real person, perhaps a, uh, uh, just a, a person that they invented. We're not really sure historically. But in Proverbs 31, as this individual is describing their wife, what do they say about her? It says in Proverbs 31, 11, that she was trustworthy, caring, hardworking, sacrificial, wise, strong, enduring, skilled in verse 19, charitable, a provider, self-aware, complimentary, honorable, secure, wise in verse 26. They were kind, nurturing, praiseworthy, and excellent. And above all, in Proverbs 31, 30, they fear the Lord. You want to know what a spouse of noble character looks like? Go to Proverbs chapter 31. And here's the key. This is so important for us. Well, a spouse who embodies those qualities, this side of the cross. Remember, Proverbs was wrote pre-Jesus. That this side of the cross, we would say that this is a, a man or a woman, a husband or a wife, who has the spirit of God in them, who is forging and molding and shaping these noble character qualities inside of them, according to Galatians 5. Can those character qualities be said of you? But look at this picture here in Proverbs 12.4. The wife of noble character is what? What's the result of this noble character? The Bible says it is her husband's crown. Now, we could get in a lot of trouble here. I read a couple things this week that talk about this where the man comes around the corner and he's like, that means this is my castle, right? <laughs> Don't do that. You're gonna sleep on the couch tonight and you will 100% deserve it, Okay. <laughs> Like, that's not what Solomon is advocating here at all. What's the picture of a spouse of noble character? You've seen these movies before. At my house, it was probably a Disney cartoon where someone is made into the king or the queen, and as they're recently for us, this was the movie Frozen, as they're headed to the throne, what's the final piece of attire that they're given as they enter into that role, the king or the queen? They put a crown on top of their head. It's the crown that solidifies the position. It's the perfect complement to who they are. They already had all the rights and privileges of the king or queen position, but when the crown is placed upon their head, that solidifies it. Because think of this, what is a king or what is a queen without their crown? So what's the lesson for us as New Testament Christians? When you and I choose to be a spouse of noble character, we become the perfect complement to our husband or our wife. You become their perfect complement. As a husband, I want nothing more in life than for my wife to flourish and thrive. How can I make that possible for her? I choose to live with noble character. And when I choose to do that, I become and I am her complementary opposite, her complementary companion. My presence is not a burden for her when I'm a person of noble character. Instead, my presence helps her thrive as a follower of Jesus. But watch this here. Look what Solomon says in Proverbs 12, 4. The, the, the noble character, the wife of noble character is a crown. But watch this. What's the inverse of this? But a wife who causes shame 
It's like rottenness to his bones. Does it mean to conduct yourself shamefully? This is the self-centered spouse. We addressed this a little bit last week. It means you're a spouse that's only concerned for your needs, wants, desires, and your future, only concerned about you. Let me give you some truth here this morning. It is impossible. It is impossible to be a good husband or wife and to be selfish at the same time. You can't do it. It is impossible biblically. When you entered into the covenant relationship between your spouse and God, remember marriage is always three, it's never two. You made a decision to live out the truth of Philippians 2, where you will always think of your spouse more than you do yourself. You will always choose humility over you. And what does the Bible say? That when you become that kind of a spouse, you become rottenness. I don't want to be described as rotten to you. Some Bible translations say that you become cancer to the bones of your spouse. So how do we develop into men and women of character, husbands and wives of character? We mentioned it a minute ago. We're New Testament Christians. We have to let the Spirit of God do something special inside of our hearts. You have to let the Spirit of God sanctify you from the inside out and let that spill over into your marriage. You know you can't be a good husband or wife without the Spirit of God doing it for you and through you. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. The Bible says in Galatians 5, Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh, and they're opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. My natural inclinations and your natural inclinations are at war with the Spirit of God inside of you. So what do we choose today as followers of Jesus? We say, it doesn't matter what I want. I'm going to choose to walk with the Spirit of God and kill the desires of my flesh. That's good preaching. That's what we need as followers of Jesus. How do we do it? It means we have to stay saturated in the Word of God. We have to stay consistent in prayer, daily leaning into the will of God and doing so, walking by the Spirit of God and killing our flesh. That's the only way your marriage is going to make it. And the Bible promises in Galatians 5 that when we do those things, that God will develop you into a husband or wife of character. First principle is noble character. Here's the second one. It's practiced honor. Practiced honor. Proverbs 18 verse 22 says this, that a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. We think of that term honor. Sometimes that's a difficult concept to understand or to define. We looked at this a bit last week. What is, what is honor? It's placing a fixed value upon somebody. Man, I hope we remember that. It's placing a fixed value on someone. It's choosing to highly esteem someone, to give them praise, to view them in a specific way, to, to view and place value upon them despite what merit we may think that they deserve or don't deserve. In marriage, Hear me, if you want to honor your spouse, you choose to place value on them whether or not they deserve it because you said I do. You made the choice at an altar to always honor your spouse, to view and value them no matter what. It reminds me, I have to share this story. I shared this a couple years ago because this is literally, I've had a lot of stuff happen to me over the years. This one is like top of the list. I still can't believe this. Years ago, I was a student pastor down in, in Lancaster, Ohio. 
I was down there and one of my students, I'd been there about a year, he invited me to his Boy Scouts ceremony to celebrate the accomplishments that he had with the Boy Scouts. I'm gonna share this before, but I promise the story makes sense here in a second because you're not gonna believe me. So I went with my, my now wife, Elizabeth. We were engaged at the time. This was 2011. We sat down, we're in this big banquet room and we're going through this whole Boy Scout award ceremony and all these kids are coming up and they're receiving their awards and we get dessert. That's why I went there, it was just for the dessert. They're getting all these awards. We're just having a great time. You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm like, I'm, I don't really know why I'm here, but this kid invited me and I wanted to support him. And it was probably nearing about three quarters of the way through this program. And I'm sitting there and, and I have no clue what these awards are for. You know, one was like, you tied the best knot last week. And we're really proud of you. Like, just, I don't, I don't understand it. I'm not a Boy Scout, okay? And I'm sitting there and I leaned over to Elizabeth. God's honest truth. It's exactly what I said to her. I said, wouldn't it be hilarious if I got a Boy Scout award tonight. I'm gonna go ahead and make this clear. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just reading you my notes. I've never been a Boy Scout. I've never been interested in being a Boy Scout. This was the first Boy Scout meeting I'd ever been to. I'd never filled out the paperwork. I'd never done an online form. Had zero affiliation with the Boy Scouts. I literally, I showed up for the free dessert. I, I was thinking this week, I'm like, I bet right now if somebody dropped me in the woods, I couldn't tie a knot or start a fire. Like, that's how far from the Boy Scouts Aaron is, you know? I'm team air conditioner, team running water, right? Like, somebody's like, Aaron, you wanna go camping? No. <laughs> we have an RV, I don't care. I have a bed at my house, you know? Like, that's just who I am. That's just how I'm, how I'm wired. <laughs> and I said to Elizabeth, I said, wouldn't it be hilarious if I got a Boy Scout award tonight and God as my witness, Two seconds later, I heard these words. Aaron Taylor, join us up here to receive your Boy Scout award. <laughs> Y'all think I'm lying. People clapped. They were excited for me. I stood up and I'm like, I guess I'm a Boy Scout now. <laughs> and I walked up there and I got an award for being a Boy Scout. And you don't think I'm telling you the truth. Right there it is. <laughs> Right there, proudly presents Scout Spirit, Aaron David Taylor, March 26, 2011. I am not lying to you. I got a Boy Scout award. To this day, I have no idea why. They couldn't explain. And it wasn't one of those things, too, where somebody grabbed a Sharpie and just wrote it on this piece of wood. They planned this. You know, I don't understand what happened there. Why do I tell you that story? First off, so you know I'm a Boy Scout. So if we get in trouble in the woods somewhere, I'll help you out. I got you, right? I probably can't. You better hope Joe's around too or something. <laughs> I didn't do anything to deserve the honor, did I? I didn't have any Boy Scout achievements. I didn't have any Boy Scout merits. But I love that story because what did they do? They extended honor to me despite anything I had done. They honored me despite what I had done. They elevated me, viewed me with high regard in that moment, and I didn't deserve any of it because I hadn't done anything. That's honor in marriage. Where, where we choose to honor our spouse no matter what, to place value on them. Now, look at our verse there again. Proverbs 18, 22, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. We do the inverse there. A wife who finds a husband, finds a good thing, obtains favor from the Lord. Let's step back for a moment. Genesis chapter one and two. 
We said in week one of this series, historical account of creation, the pinnacle of God's creation was what? It was man, a guy named Adam. Of all the creatures of God's creation, the Bible says in Genesis 1, and 28, that man was the only one with the thumbprint of God's image placed upon them. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says Adam is working the ground as God commanded. He's naming the animals as God commanded, and in an act of grace toward Adam, God creates the first woman, Eve. Why? To be a complementary partner and opposite to him. Remember what the Bible says in Genesis 2, 18, Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone, so I'll make a helper corresponding to him. So God takes what is not good, he turns it good, and he brings Eve to Adam. What's the lesson for us there? Guys, this is so important. Please hear me. God bringing Eve to Adam was a huge expression of grace. And the most important and basic aspect of you and I practicing honor in our marriage is when we begin to view our husband or our wife as an expression of God's grace to us. God is kind to you. And if you are married, it means that God brought your spouse to you, your complementary opposite, to walk with you as you walk with him. You didn't do anything to deserve them. God didn't owe them to you. Rather, God said, as an act of grace, I'm going to bless you. And please use my blessing as a picture of the gospel to give me glory. You didn't deserve your spouse but it's God's grace, a tangible expression of God's grace to you. Honor them. I was thinking too, marriage not only is an expression of grace, but it's weird too, right? I was thinking when me and Elizabeth met, we met over a phone call, first time we met, I pulled up in my dad's pickup truck, green Ford F-150 in the country, she thought I was a country boy, joke's on her. <laughs> and, uh, but think about this, God intersects your path with someone that is a stranger, and you start hanging out with them, you spend time together. You get to know them a little bit more and more. And then this is what's amazing to me about marriage is one day you wake up and you're like, you know what? That one's mine now. <laughs> and I will keep them forever. <laughs> it's like when you get a puppy something. You know what I mean? It's just the strangest thing. <laughs> this is what happens when I don't get a full week to prepare messages, in case you were wondering. <laughs> but I just think about that and I'm like, Lord, how kind are you to us? In your sovereign plan, over 7 billion people on this planet, Lord, you intersected our path with the right one at the right time as an expression of your grace for us to live out the gospel to a lost world through the covenant of marriage. Honor your spouse because God blessed you with them. Listen, look at what Solomon say. You obtain favor from the Lord. Your spouse is an expression of God's mercy, God's grace, when you, when you see your spouse as God sees them, what's the natural overflow? It's honor. You see them as God sees them. You highly esteem them. You love them. You praise them. Why? Because you see that they are a gift of God's grace to you, and you did not deserve them in any way, shape, or form, but God was so good and so kind to you, so you know what you choose to do? You will honor them despite, despite anything else. And here's the last one. It's consistent communication. Consistent communication. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 says that a house is built by wisdom. It's established by understanding, by knowledge. The rooms are filled with every precious and beautiful treasure. 
Now, what's the point there? It's consistent communication. And we'd be tempted to take that and think to ourselves, oh, we're talking about the communication between a a husband and a wife. That's the communication we're talking about here. And yes, that's important, but that's not what the Proverbs are pointing us here this morning. If you and your spouse aren't talking on a very base level, regular basis, communicating, you need to get that right, right? That's important. When we talk about consistent communication, I'm talking about consistent communication with Jesus. You want to have a strong, healthy, God-honoring, biblical marriage? Base-level stuff is you and Jesus consistently being in communication and communion with one another. Solomon paints this beautiful picture here about building a house. Three words I want us to apply, and then we'll begin to close up. It's the word wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are three words he uses in these two verses. How do they work together? The first is he says that a house is built by wisdom. What is wisdom? I read this recently. I thought this was helpful. Wisdom is seeing things the way God sees them. That's wisdom for the Christian. How do I do that? How do I see the world as God sees it? It starts with a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus. The most important foundational aspect of a thriving Christian marriage is a man and a woman who are intentionally pursuing Jesus every day. If you're struggling in your marriage, start there, right? If the foundation is cracked, seal it up. Then we'll deal with the next stuff. Foundational stuff here is walking and talking and intentionally pursuing Jesus together for your life and your marriage. The Bible says very clearly in Proverbs 2, 6, for it's the Lord who gives wisdom. You want to walk in wisdom? You start by communing with Jesus. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Second aspect of this, he says that a house is established by understanding. What does that mean? Solomon's moving us from wisdom to application. Taking the wisdom that God is imparting into my life through the scriptures And letting that now be the prism by which I view my life, my marriage, and all my decision making. This now comes into play with not just a husband and wife who know Jesus, but are daily walking with Jesus. There's a difference between hearing from the Lord and then doing something with what you hear. We have to choose to walk with Jesus day by day. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this morning, you want to know the greatest gift that you can give your spouse this week is not only daily, start your day by reading the scriptures, but then apply the very things that God is teaching you. The effect that that will have on your marriage will be life-changing, I promise. We need men and women who don't just know Jesus, but we're choosing daily to walk with Jesus. And then lastly, the Bible says a house is filled with knowledge there. In Proverbs. It's this idea of not only do we know Jesus, we walk with Jesus, but I am forging this deep relationship with him over time, knowing him more deeply every single day. Y'all, that's this idea, and I love this so much. Me and Liz try to talk about this often. It's where I know Jesus, and I'm allowing his word to change me, and I'm trying to live those things out, but I'm communicating that with my spouse on a regular basis, and we're talking through what God is teaching us. Why do you do that? Because the defining marker of your marriage shouldn't be your kids, shouldn't be your vocation, shouldn't be your house, 
the defining marker of your marriage, the things as the Proverbs talks about, the decor on the walls, the jewels and the precious stones, shouldn't be any of those things. What should it be? It should be Jesus. Jesus should be the very thing that defines your relationship above anything else. In my decade or so of pastoring, as we close, I've had the honor over the last several years to do seven or eight weddings. And right before we get to the vow portion of those weddings, I always read this to the spouses, and I want to close with this today. I hope this is helpful for you. This is what I read to them. I say, marriage is total commitment. Good marriages don't just happen. Hear me. They don't just happen. They take hard work. Good marriages take both people choosing to place their needs and desires above their spouse or above their own needs and desires. Good marriages require sacrifice. Good marriages happen when we love our spouse more than we love ourselves in the same way that Jesus expressed his love for us by sacrificing himself on the cross. And your marriage is simply a picture of that, placing the needs of your spouse above your own. And then here's where it's important, and I'll close in prayer. On your own, you do not have the ability to truly love your spouse. But through your relationship with Jesus, a deep, abiding pursuit of Christ every day, true love, right love, biblical love for your spouse will be the natural outpouring. Let's pray. God, we love you. Father, I pray that your word would make its way from our, heart, from our heads to our hearts this morning. God, over these last few weeks, if we've talked about marriage and so many different aspects of that. I pray that just this culmination of all of this, Lord, these just principles for healthy marriage would just invoke a desire, a drive, and a fire in our hearts to truly be models and pictures of what you desire in the marriage relationship. So God, would you heal any marriages, Lord, that maybe are struggling in our midst today? God, would you strengthen marriages, Lord, that are, Lord, maybe they're firing on all cylinders, Lord, but we always know we can get better. Because above all, we want to be a picture of what Jesus has done for us. We're so grateful, Lord, that you voluntarily went on a cross for our sake. And through your death, burial, and resurrection, our sins can be forgiven. And we can have a relationship with you and spend eternity in a place called heaven. God, we love you. And Lord, I pray as we sing now that our voices, God, are a sweet sound through the, just the throne room of heaven. God, as we join with the singing of the angels in this moment, giving Jesus the praise he deserves. Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen.